Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. So let's start again this morning by reading from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This morning I'd like to focus on verses 8 and 9. Where he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Well, we've kind of walked through a few of these verses together. Hopefully they've been an encouragement to you. They have for me. Uh, starting in verse 4, he specifically encourages the church, the, the church in Philippi, to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice always. And that was kind of a reminder that they have every good reason to have joy in their hearts because they are in the Lord, because they are in Christ. But he instructs them to practice the discipline of rejoicing always. It is the choice to take joy in the work that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, and in the presence of Christ in our hearts and lives, always, regardless of what's going on in life, especially through difficult circumstances. Now, remember, this is kind of in the context of conflict. He's already addressed uh, the issue that was taking place between a couple of ladies within the fellowship. They were in some form of a disagreement. So he was encouraging them to uh, work out that struggle. He was encouraging other brothers and sisters in Christ to help in that matter, to help create peace and to help create unity and to preserve the unity of the church. Uh, And then he moves into this section where I believe he's giving them, he's giving the church general instructions about how to handle anxiety and difficulty in in our personal lives, but also within our fellowships when conflicts arise. Specifically, one really good uh, tool, one really good uh, place to start when there is anxiety, when there is conflict, or when there is difficulty, is rejoicing. First of all, remember who we are in Christ Jesus and take joy in that. And remember who your brothers and sisters are in Christ Jesus and take joy in the faith that God has established in their heart. Because if there is any conflict or difficulty that arises within uh, within our fellowship, we can always know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and that has not changed. And the Lord is still among us and that we must 
choose to rejoice in, even if there's difficulty. And then he tells them to let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And this is kind of the outflowing of being citizens of the kingdom of God, that as a citizen of the kingdom of God, there are going to be natural fruits that flow out of our lives as godly character. And it should become evident among all that are around us. All the people that are with us should experience these qualities within our fellowships and from us individually. As we rejoice in the Lord, there is a gentleness that people should come to experience from our lives. And then he gives us this wonderful promise that the Lord is near. God is near us, and that will not change. And I believe that that is connected with where we're going to land this morning in verse 9, where he gives us this wonderful promise that kind of holds all of this together. It is the foundation and the root of rejoicing in God. It is that the God of peace is with us. The God of peace is with us. It holds our fellowship together. It holds our own hearts together. He is the one keeping us and sustaining us on a daily basis. So then he tells them to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So last week we spent quite a bit of time uh, kind of dealing with anxiety or some aspects of anxiety and the fact that... um, that Paul even expressed a form of anxiety on behalf of the church, a a deep concern that he has. It's the same word as anxiety, and it was used in a good form. There are forms of deep concern that the Lord's given and placed in our hearts to have toward one another and and toward our own hearts and our own well-being that we should have. But there is a form of anxiety that can become sinful in which we forget the work that God's done for us. We forget to rejoice in the Lord and we forget the peace of God and we live in fear and hopelessness as a result of difficulty. And so Paul's encouraging us as we deal with the daily struggles of life and anxieties that we face, he encourages you and I to begin by rejoicing in the Lord and then come to the Lord in ceaseless prayer with an attitude of gratefulness. Attitude of gratitude is what I said last week. We That needs to permeate our prayer life. And I will just testify to the fact that there have been some times in my life of deep anxiety, deep difficulty, and some of the only comfort and counsel I've been able to find. Even when Christian brothers and sisters are encouraging me with the truth, I know these truths, and it's good to have those reminders, and it's actually very encouraging to have brothers and sisters come alongside me and say, listen, this is who we are in Jesus. This is who you are in Jesus. This is what God's already said about you. Those things have strengthened me, but some of the greatest counsel and comfort that I've found is in drawing near to the Lord in personal prayer and just beginning to give thanks for all that I know is true all that I know that God has accomplished, just to ceaselessly thank the Lord for all that he is doing in my life. And there's a work that the Spirit of God begins to do in my heart and in my mind as he begins to push away all the thoughts, the lies, and the doubts, and the insecurities, and the anxiety, and the angst. And he begins to counsel my heart with his presence. And he begins with me drawing near to the Lord and beginning to give thanks with this heart of gratitude. And then he begins to bathe my heart and mind with what he calls the peace which passes all comprehension. Now, I'll, I'll begin, I'll also confess that there 
you know, I should be able to stay that way. We should be able to stay that. We, we should be able to come near to the Lord and give thanks and, and receive all of that truth and remain there. But for one reason or another, it's difficult. I feel like sometimes I will fall on my face with the Lord and I will cry out to him and I will receive his counsel and I will feel that comfort that the Lord is giving to me. And a few minutes later, when I stand up and I stop praying and I start going back about my day or I go to sleep and wake up the next morning, I'm right back in the midst of all that angst and difficulty. And so it's a daily discipline, a daily choosing to rejoice. And I'll confess that I don't always do that. There are sometimes I remain in that anxiety and difficulty a little too long. But anyways, Paul continues that discussion where he's encouraging the church and he says, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brethren. So again, he's talking to you and I, or specifically the Philippian church. And I believe because this is inspired and inerrant, we can apply ourselves to that context. We are the brethren. We are the brothers and sisters in Christ. We are, uh, as he refers to us, as saints, those who are called in Christ Jesus. We are the ones that are set apart for the Lord. This is our identity in Christ. We are the brethren. So he's speaking to us. Now, I will say, just pause right there, that these instructions about joy and about peace and about comfort and anxiety He's giving to Christians. He's not saying that these are actually available to all people in the world. Now, they, uh, in general, they are through Jesus Christ. But if we do not first have a relationship with Jesus, where we trust in him by faith and we believe that he is who he says he is, he's accomplished what he said he's accomplished in our hearts. He's covered us with his blood and forgiven us of all of our sins and made us right with our Father. If we don't first believe that, If we're not first in a right relationship with the Father, we can't apply these verses. In fact, most of the New Testament, uh, where Paul's preaching to the church, most of that can't be applied to us. We can't live these things out and be obedient to these things without first knowing Jesus. Because most of this is addressed to Christians. So before you hear any more of this or before we go any further if you're at all wrestling with your personal relationship with God with whether or not you are right with the fa- with your father in heaven then that's the first thing that needs to be addressed in your heart and mind so as you hear the rest of this this is our testimony as believers and this is what i hope you and i will be reminded of in in our minds and we will come back to this and and we will let the lord use this to counsel our hearts today but before you, if, if you're at all wrestling with salvation, I would encourage you to take the rest of this time as you hear this testimony and just seek the face of Christ in your own heart. Draw near to the Father and cry out to Him for salvation. But for us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, He says, Brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The first instruction we have here is to dwell on these things. Some very specific things. He lists six to eight things right here that we should set our hearts and minds on. Now to dwell literally means to ponder or to, um, to use reasoning skills. It's a brain activity. It's something that takes place in the, in the heart and in the mind. 
Now, in Scripture, sometimes uh, the word heart is a reference to all of our our emotions, as well as all of our reasoning skills and all of our thoughts, all of our personality. Sometimes uh, the, the Scripture differentiates a little bit between heart and mind, where heart is, or the mind is kind of that place where the reasoning and the thoughts all take place, and the heart is kind of that place where the emotions and and uh, um, and desires take place. But in a lot of ways, Scripture refers to all this, kind of lumps it all together as heart or spirit. And so we know as believers, a lot of this is melded together. There's a lot that takes place in our heart and in our mind, and Scripture teaches us that out of our heart or out of our mouth comes the proceeds of the heart. So what is actually true about us on the inside will become evident on the outside, whether through our actions or our attitudes or through the thoughts that affect our emotions, in particular here in this context, anxiety and conflict. Um, these will be um, our reaction to anxiety and conflict will, conflict will change based on what's going on in our heart and in our mind. And so Paul is saying, listen, brothers and sisters, it's very important to dwell on, to ponder, to discipline your mind, to focus on good and holy things. And he lists several things in particular. First of all, he says whatever is true, which basically means whatever aligns with reality, with what's correct. It's very important to make sure that you know what reality is. That's actually, you can't just assume that your perspective on the world is real. You can't just assume that you're going to come about by reality, by happenstance. In fact, there's so, there are so many lies, so many quote-unquote worldviews that are propagated throughout the world. Um, and there are some major Worldviews and a lot of religions kind of fall under these major worldview categories. But those worldviews oftentimes will shape everything about your way of life down to just the way you think and what you believe. What you believe about humanity and, and this physical body that we live in. What you believe about eternity, heaven, and hell. What you believe about uh, God as the creator and whether or not God's involved in his creation or not involved in his creation. It's the way you view the world. And there are a lot of lies. And you can't just assume that you know what's real. And so the, Paul says, discern what's real, discover what's real, find what's real, and well, focus on what's real. Dwell on it, ponder it. That's extremely important for us. And I believe as um, as Christians, we've come to understand that Scripture is the source of knowledge of what is real and what is true and what is absolute. God's Word gives us a picture into reality and helps us to have discernment between all that is false. So then he tells us to, be, to dwell in what is honorable, which means worthy of respect or noble. And there are certainly numerous things in the world that we are immersed in that are not noble and not honorable or worthy of respect. He talks about whatever is right, which means correct again, but this is a little bit different. It means just. It means righteous. 
He encourages us to focus on what is just, what is righteous, which means whatever meets the approval of God. So this is conformity to God's law. Whatever that we can find or we can discover that is true, that is real, that is right, that is honorable, that conforms to the law and character of God, that is right. Discern that and set your mind on it. And then he says whatever is pure which means to be innocent or without moral defect. And we are every single day living our lives in a world that is um, marred and corrupted with moral defect. In fact, most of what we consume all day long has moral deficiencies, a large amount of moral deficiencies and corruption just by way of living in the world. Paul says, you know, we can't, we can't go, you know, we can't separate ourselves from all of that or we'd have to go out of the world. So we have no choice but to live in the world, but he tells us to not be of the world. And I believe this is a window into how he says that he is living in the world and not being of the world is by setting his mind continually, daily, dwelling on what is pure and what is holy, what is innocent and what is without moral defect. And so then he says, whatever is lovely, which means lovable and what is pleasing. And then he says of good repute, which in some versions, your your versions might say commendable um, or good reputation, uh, which means that it is worthy of praise. It's admirable. Whatever is worthy of praise and admirable, focus on those things. And then he says, if any excellence which means this excellence is virtuous, it's good. If anything worthy of praise, which is a little bit like of good repute, so if there's anything worthy of praise, if it's excellence, it's good repute, lovely, pure, right, honorable, true, dwell on these things. Set your mind on these things. And this is kind of a discipline. Now, he does say if. The last two are kind of, that's why I said there's six to seven things that he says to focus on. I feel like the last two, if there's any excellence and if there's any worth, uh, anything worthy of praise, I think he's kind of going back through that list. And this is a little bit of a reference to the fact that this is, a, uh, this is the context of some conflict. There's a couple of ladies in the church having a dispute. He's encouraging them to be anxious for nothing, to rejoice in the Lord, to be right with one another, to give thanks to the Lord, seek the Lord in prayer. And then he tells them to focus on these things. And I believe in a very streamlined application context here, he is saying in all of your, in your individual conflicts with one another, look for the things in the other person that you're having a dispute with that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good reputation. Because it is definitely our I know it is my tendency whenever I'm having conflict with somebody to all of a sudden only notice all the horrible things about that person and all the good things about that person are all of a sudden out of my mind and could never be discovered, right? And so the only thing that I see in this person is just depravity. And this person just needs Jesus, let's just put it plainly, you know? But I think Paul is encouraging us, especially if we're looking at brothers and sisters in Christ, to look for the fruits of the Spirit in one another and rejoice in what we see. Dwell on those things and give thanks for those things and thank the Lord for these people and pray for them. I think it will do do our own hearts a lot of good to pray for those that we are in conflict with, 
especially in this fashion. I think that's why maybe he said if, because when we live in a context of conflict and corruption and immorality and difficulty, we're looking around the world for these things. We're looking for what's true and what's honorable, what's right, what's lovely, pure, and of good reputation. And we're going to see bits and pieces of that, but all of it's going to be very corrupted. He's saying, as you're looking around for the good, if there happens to be any excellence in all any of that, focus on that. Dwell on that. If there happens to be anything worthy of praise, dwell on that. But we also know in a broader concept the truth. And that is, God is all of these things. God is the source of truth. He is what aligns with reality. He is the revelation of reality. The fact that we can know God gives us the ability to know what's real. In a world full of lies, God has made himself known. What a blessing, right? This is the scripture itself is the revelation of God. This is God revealing himself to you and I saying, You're, you don't know what's real. I'm telling you what's real. You can't figure it out without this revelation. And so God is true. He's honorable. He is right. He is pure. He is lovely. He is of good reputation. And there certainly is excellence in God. And he is the ultimate excellence. And he is worthy of all praise. And his revelation that he has given to us, his word, is also a source of all of those things. So if we are going to dwell on these things, we certainly should look for those as they are on display around us, because that will do wonders to our hearts when we're living in a difficult world and we're going around grumbling and complaining about politics and about all the things, the bad things that are definitely happening and we definitely need to be involved in. We need to apply our Christian virtues and trying to restore. But it is definitely tempting to go around despairing and grumbling and complaining with all the bad things that are happening, even within the church. And I think the Lord's telling us to look for the good and focus on that and especially rejoice in the fact that God is good and incorruptible and will never change and is always this way. And he tells us to set our minds on that. I like to use the word meditation. Um, well, I, I don't necessarily always like to use it because I know how most people interpret that word. Um, the word meditation is used in a number of different religions. Uh, most, uh, the, we typically would interpret that word from the context of um, an Eastern religious perspective, uh, um, a pantheistic, monistic perspective, or um, a New Age spirituality perspective where um, meditation is used as a form of escaping or... Um, or uh, stepping outside of oneself and realizing a greater reality, etc. There's a number of ways that these things have been applied in false concepts, but biblical meditation is this. It is to set one's mind. It is a discipline. It's actually a mental activity. It is not to... It is not to reach a state where you're not thinking about anything, but it is to, to delve into a position or to, or to discipline your mind to a place where you are focusing all of your heart and all of your attention on only what is good and what is holy and what is right and what is lovely and what is pure and what is of good reputation. And there are some ways that we practice that. One is by prayer. 
It is by being on our knees and seeking the Lord Jesus in prayer. We are closing our eyes, which is, we don't, that's not a law. You don't have to do that to talk to the Lord. There are many times I'm talking to you guys and I'm talking to the Lord at the same time while I'm up here. Sometimes I'm having conversations with you individually and I'm having a conversation with Jesus at the same time. I don't have to close my eyes to do that. But sometimes when I'm practicing dwelling on these things, I'm closing my eyes for the purpose of blocking out the distractions. I'm blocking out the things of the world that consume my thoughts and minds all day long. And I want to I think only of Christ. Or sometimes I open my eyes and I stare only at his word. And I pray through scripture. And as I read, I have a conversation with the Lord through that. In fact, my uh, favorite memorization method is praying through scripture. A lot of people have different things. You have, you have apps you can use that drop words or whatever so that you can memorize it. You read it every day. You can write it on your bathroom mirror or slide it, you know, write it on pieces of paper and keep it around with you. Some people write it on their arms or whatever. And those are good techniques, whatever it takes to help memorize God's word. All of those things are good. But one of my favorites personally is by praying the scripture. I have found that I've, now that's just by I've just discovered that I remember it better after I've spent a considerable amount of time talking to God about what he said. So when I sit down and I read it and then I ask him what I, about what I don't understand, and then I read other verses to try to help myself understand, and, and I'm discussing the various pieces and parts and the words and how it applies to my life, and I'm talking to God about his word, that's how I come to dwell on these things. And I find that the more that I do that, the less I focus on the horrors of the physical life. And I'm able to focus on the beauty of what Christ has accomplished in the spirit. So um, Psalm 119 is a really good example of this. Paul, Psalm, the whole Psalm 119 is amazing. It's all about, um, not Paul, David's love for God and specifically God's word. Um, there's one section for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each section is exactly the same amount of numbers. And the beginning of each line in Hebrew actually begins with that Hebrew letter. You may not have known that. It's pretty cool. So if you look it up in Hebrew, you can kind of see that. So um, anyways, Psalm 119, verse 145 through 152, here's a great example of Paul's, excuse me, I keep saying Paul, David's um, discussion with the Lord about his word. I cried with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord, I will observe your statutes. So he's, he's praying. He's asking for the Lord to answer him. In this case, he's crying out to the Lord, but he's resolving to focus on the statutes of God, the, the revel, what God's already revealed to him and commanded him to believe and to know. He's focusing on that. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me. And I shall keep your testimonies. There it is again. He's resolving to now not just focus on his statutes and testimonies, but to be obedient to them. And then he says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. He's looking forward to alone time so that he can meditate 
on what God's told him. He wants to go back to it because he, the last time he went there, he found solace. He found comfort. He found strength. He found restoration. And he wants to go back to that place. He wants to be alone again where he could go back to the testimonies of the Lord. And he says, hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. So he is crying out for salvation because, because of a threat of an enemy. So that's, that's this anxiety. It's the anxiety that, he's addre- that Paul's addressing. You know, he's saying be anxious for nothing. But yet there's a recognition here that we all struggle with anxiety every day because of very real issues. And then he says in 151, you are near Oh Lord. So he's reminding, he's preaching to himself. He's, he's talking to God. You're near, O oh Lord, but he's preaching to himself. The Lord is near me. He's reminding himself and he's by way of telling the Lord that he knows that God is near. I know that you're near me. And he's finding great comfort in that. Of old, I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Of old, I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them for forever. Meaning that all the testimonies of God are eternal. They come from eternity. They are a revelation of God himself. They are a revelation of the character of God that is eternal. Of the reality of God that is eternal. Of the truth of God that never changes. What we hold in our hands, the statutes, the testimonies, the words of God. They are from forever. These aren't just written by men. They are eternal. And he takes great comfort and he says, in this anxiety, he resolves to dwell on these things. I think it's a great example of dwelling on God. So Paul tells us, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Verse 9, these things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The second instruction is to practice the things that you've seen, heard, learned, um, and received from specifically from Paul. Now this is these uh, the first verse here that we read in verse 8 says, dwell on these things, which was a very specific list. Now he's saying these things, this is a different these things. All right. He says these things that you've learned, that you've received, that you've heard, and that you've seen in me. This is a bigger these things. All right. He's saying everything that, you've, that I've taught you. Now, if we first of all, think specifically of the Philippian church. He says, I've, everything I've taught you that you've learned, everything that you've received that I have taught you, everything that you've heard me say to you, and everything that you've seen me live out in front of you, everything that he has already preached to them in this letter, they have read, they're receiving, they're learning, and they've seen him live it out. So this is a specific reference to a lot of these things we've already looked through in Philippians, where he's talked about his desire to to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as often as he can. He's rejoicing in the unity of the church. He's praying for the unity of the church, ceaselessly praying for the church, praying for the advancement of the gospel. He is rejoicing in the salvation of God. He's rejoicing in the faith that he sees in his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's 
praying with thanksgiving and he is dwelling on all that is holy and all that is good. He's saying, I am applying all of these things in my life and you've seen it. You can testify to it because you've seen the way that I've lived. These things that you've learned, that you've received, that you've heard, that you've seen in me, practice these things. This is this goes back to the concept that we've been to multiple times. It's the hear and do concept. We hear, we learn, but we must do. We must practice these things that we are learning. So he's instructing them to learn, to receive, to hear, to see, and to do all these things. And so there's a big question that we should ask, and they probably had to ask themselves when reading this was, what have we, what are we exactly learning? What are we receiving? What are we hearing? And what are we seeing? Specific, let's start with Paul and the apostles. In Acts chapter 2, the church was gathered together, devoted to the apostles' teachings, breaking of bread and prayer. But that was one of the things that they devoted themselves to were the teachings of the apostles. They read them and they sought to apply them. They were devoted to that. And that's one of the reasons that we gather together as a church on Sunday mornings and you hear the preaching of the Word of God and on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights and we gather together and open God's Word with one another so that we can devote ourselves to the teachings, not just to the apostles' teachings, but to all of the teachings of God, which include the prophets and the historical writers of the Old Testament and uh, those that wrote the, uh, the, the Gospels and, and the general letters of the New Testament. All of these things that have been given to us, we study and we devote ourselves to. So we have to ask ourselves, what have we learned? What have we received? What have we heard? And what have we seen from God through his word already that we need to be applying? Sometimes we ask and we beg God for his will. God, what's your will for my life? I just don't know what to do. Well, there are, I, there are so many things that God's revealed to me through his word that I've not yet applied. I probably need to go back to those things and start. I think sometimes when I say, God, what's your will for my life? He says, go read that again, you know, and um, and I think that's that's where a lot of us are at. Be obedient to what's already been revealed. And then we probably need to ask, are we learning? Are we receiving? Are we hearing and are we seeing from God? We definitely have learned things from God. We may not have received it. That's a big question. Have you received anything from God yet? And that goes back to the Jesus question that I started with. If you've not received anything from God yet, start with Jesus. But we should be continually learning, receiving, hearing, and seeing from God through his word and from one another. And then after doing that, we need to practice it. It's a pretty simple instruction. So in James, James tells those who are reading his letter, this was most likely a letter that was circulated amongst a number of churches. James 1, verse 21, he says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. So again, going back to uh, where we started. First, we need to receive the word. God, maybe, maybe you're struggling with your relationship with God, but you're here this morning. And you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. For one reason or another, you keep listening. And that's probably because the Spirit of God has planted His Word in your heart, and it's growing. And the work of God is growing. He says, receive it. Receive it. It's able to save your soul. 
What you need is salvation, and it's able to save your soul. It says, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. That's a, that means lie to yourself. That means if you hear the word of God and never receive and apply any of it, you're lying to yourself that you're saved. Don't lie to yourself and deceive yourself. Maybe you know a lot about the Bible. But if you're not receiving what the Lord is giving, then you're lying to yourself. He says, uh, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. He says, basically, you know, it's like looking in a mirror and seeing the reality about yourself. When you look in God's word and you read God's word, the word reads you. And it reveals to you who you are. It shows us who God is. And when we realize who God is, we realize who we are in the flesh and how much we need to be judged for our sins. And we see the truth of that. And when looking at the word of God is like looking at a mirror. We see the truth about ourselves. But if we walk away and completely forget about it, and, don't, and there's no change ever, we don't actually receive that reality as truth, and don't repent, then there is no change. Then it's merely knowledge that has served to puff us up when anybody wants to talk to us about God. Oh, I know that. I've heard that before. I read that once. And that happens. But the Lord calls us to be effectual doers, which is, it is an instruction. It is a command, but it's also a fruit. When we start by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, the Spirit of God helps us do helps us practice he produces that obedience in our lives he compels us to desire repentance to more and more hate what is evil and love what is good and he draws our hearts towards what is good and he compels us like david wanting to he looking forward to the next chance he can get to put everything away and just focus on what is holy the lord compels us to that and so Paul's telling the Philippian church, these things you've, you've learned, received, heard, and seen, do these things, practice these things. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus even said something after preaching the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about a right relationship with Father, righteousness, and a right understanding of the, of the law of God in Christ Jesus. He comes to verse 24 in chapter 7 where he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And who's the rock? Jesus. We hear the words of Christ and we receive them and we follow him. And our life is founded on the rock. That is wisdom. That is wisdom. And Paul saying to the Philippian church, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. You are on the rock. You are in Christ Jesus. So practice what you believe. Let it affect your life, your way of life. This is what should be produced 
in you. Everything you're learning, receive it, hear it, see it displayed through the lives of all the patriarchs of old and imitate it. Philippians chapter 3.17, he's already told them, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Or he's already told them to observe and follow this example. So are we learning, receiving? Are we acting accordingly? And then the last thing that we see is this beautiful promise where he says, These things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, in the, whole, in the Bible, you look at, if you go to look for the God of, the God of throughout Scripture, hundreds of references, times that God of pops up. And in a, lot of time, in a lot of times, it's a reference to the ways that God reveals himself. He came to be known. Names were given to him in reference to how he showed up in people's lives. Specifically, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He became known as the God of Abraham. And people referred to him as the God of Abraham because of what people knew that God did for Abraham and through Abraham. Same with Jacob and th- same with, uh, with Isaac, the God of Israel. And he came to, be known, came to be known as the God of the Hebrews. And he came to be known as the God of hosts, the God of angel armies, as we sing sometimes. When the Lord sends armies of angels to do things and people recognize that he is that God. Well, here he is referred to by Paul as the God of peace. He already is the God of peace, and as believers, He already is with us, but when we live this way, we will know Him as the God of peace. We will see that on display in our own lives and in the lives of our around us and in our fellowship. We will see Him. We will be able to refer to Him as the God of peace because of how He has revealed Himself in our lives, much the same way He did in people's lives all throughout God's Word which I think is a beautiful statement, saying we can know him as the God of hosts and the God of Israel and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, Jacob even had to, he wrestled with God. It took him a long time before he would get to the place where he would call him my God. We know him as our God, but we can come to know him as the God of peace, the God who has worked out peace in my heart, my turbulent, anxious difficult heart that I don't even understand the thoughts that I don't I can't control the thoughts that some days seem perfectly fine the next day I'm my head's full of lies and I need discernment and I can't sort it out and so we run to Jesus and we run to the father and we draw near to him in this way through prayer and thanksgiving and dwelling on all that is good and holy and we find God administering the peace that passes understanding and we can worship him as the God of peace and we should my prayer for our fellowship corporately is that God for us will always be a God of peace and I believe that You know, as we read in Matthew chapter 18, there are some instructions about handling conflict. I believe this is a great place to come as well in dealing with conflict when it happens. So the Lord has blessed us with being our God of peace. We can rejoice in him in this way. So a couple of ways to apply this this morning and pray through this. If we just go back to verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything by prayer 
and supplication. In that phrase, in everything, I encourage you to rejoice in the Lord always. In everything, pray earnestly with gratitude in your heart. In everything, dwell on all that is good and holy. Dwell on all that is good and holy. And in everything, practice what is learned, received, heard, and seen from God. I believe these are pretty simple instructions, but it is a daily walk. Daily we take up our cross, and we follow Christ, and these are ways that Paul has given us to do that. I'd like to invite you to pray with me through these things. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.